Keith, what a privilege it is to be with you this morning. I want to start with some greetings first to um, my brother, Pastor Bill Kripe. First, greetings from Bill Hamill from the Office of the President of the Free Church. And greetings to you all. Your reputation precedes you. You see, when I had the privilege of ministering for a weekend last night in Skowhegan and today at Faith, I think of it this way. To some communities of faith, God's blessed with a lot of talents according to their ability and to some a little. And what faithful stewards do is just put to work whatever God has provided, right? And the word is that you really put it to work here. And I was blessed and I could end the service having seen those testimonies. Do I hear an amen? And yet uh, the Lord's put a message on my heart for you. And I think I'm ready to deliver it because I've been treated with some... Mesolonsky hospitality. That was the lake I got to stay on. We actually got to go tubing on it. I did not go tubing. My kids went tubing. I got to just enjoy the breeze flowing through what hair I have. Now, watching it flow through my wife's hair. We had a great time yesterday with Tim and Laura before going up to Skowhegan. And we're just thrilled to be with you, uh, having spent just a, an amazing just a perfect week in New England, quite honestly. Family camp down in Spofford and now up in Maine. So I was before the Lord, what should I say to his people in at faith? And he directed me, and I have the privilege, as was shared, to, uh, to teach on generosity throughout the scriptures, whether it's at TEDs or whether in groups. And I confess to you, I'm probably more of a teacher than a preacher. I'm a biblical scholar, professor, bloke. So so humor me as I attempt to um, hopefully challenge and encourage a great congregation. Consider it like taking your car in for an alignment so that it not only functions great, it functions at optimum performance. In other words, so that so that you're clicking on all cylinders. And so as I prayed about what to teach on, the Lord really led me to teach on generosity uh, from Galatians. And so here's our message for shifts for getting generosity and gear from Galatians. I'm going to read just a section of Galatians and then we're going to pray and jump in. Galatians 5, 16 and following, if you're following in your Bibles. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Again, such things there's no law. Father, we've looked at just a a brief text from Paul's letter to the Galatians. And when we live according to the flesh, a lot of awful things come out. But when we live 
and keep in step and surrender our lives to the power and work of the Holy Spirit, will all great things happen. And we're going to look at one of those things today, generosity. Teach us from your word and empower us by the Holy Spirit to do what it says, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, do you know that if we looked up the word goodness, which appears in this famous list of the fruit of the Spirit, goodness in a Greek-English lexicon, the Greek word agathosune, may be better rendered generosity. Look it up. And what's interesting about this is for years I thought generosity was the result of my teaching. So did Pastor Bill and others. I mean, we thought when God's people just open up and become more generous, it's because maybe we've had a good work in their life. But with this statement to the Galatian church, and I believe to us, the Apostle Paul is sending us a message that goodness, also known as generosity, one of the fruit of the Spirit, is the result of God's work, not man's work in the lives of believers. So did you catch that? Generosity is a fruit of the Spirit, and it's a result of God's work, not man's work in the lives of believers. So when people give generously from the resources they possess, it's because God is at work in them. So this begs the question for me or Pastor Bill or anyone else, well, how can we encourage grace-filled, spirit-led generosity in this church or throughout the EFCA? Because you see, my challenge, and it's a big challenge, but I love to take on big challenges, is we've got 1,560 congregations like this one throughout all 50 states with about a half a million strong if all the regulars show up on Sunday. And in our free churches across America, my prayer is that all of them will become known for their grace-filled, spirit-led generosity. And so if we were to ask the Apostle Paul, how can we encourage grace-filled, spirit-led generosity at faith and in all the other free churches, his answer might be something like this. He might say, exhort everyone to obey Jesus' teachings by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you might ask, can you please summarize what Jesus wants us to do? And the aim of this message is to offer you a fourfold answer from Paul's letter to the Galatians. What I think he said to the Galatians, and I think he's saying for churches like this one today. We're going to look at Galatians and some related New Testament passages and as these are points that I've learned on my spiritual journey with my family, and we're thrilled to be here with you, we just humbly offer them to you for your spiritual journey and for your families. But before I jump into Galatians, let me give you some background because I don't know, not because I don't think Pastor Bill has adequately equipped you because I'm confident he has, but I want to be sure if you're just walking into faith today and you don't know what in the world Galatians is, you have an understanding. So, some background on Galatians. First, it's a letter. Galatians was one of the early epistles of Paul written around 45 to 55 AD. It went something like this. The Galatians had received the gospel of Jesus on Paul's first missionary journey. And it went something like this. He traveled. He preached. God moved. They believed. Then Paul left. And sometime after that, the text says they had drifted to embrace a different gospel. That's the occasion for this letter. And so what was that different gospel? We don't know exactly. Scholars have an idea, though, based on the letter. Some think that the Galatians believed that they were required to follow the Old Testament law 
and embrace the New Testament gospel of grace and kind of mash them together like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Is that a word picture? Do you eat peanut butter and jelly up here in New England? I, I Maybe I should have come up with a different word picture. But in Colorado, where we live, we sure love peanut butter and jelly. And so the Galatians thought they had to take the law in this hand and the gospel of grace in this hand and just kind of mash them together. Now, friends, the Galatians were not to take the law, the Old Testament law and the New Testament gospel of grace and mash them together. Why? Their relationship to the law changed upon embracing Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Don't believe me, though. Listen as I read Galatians 3, 23 to 26. It says, before the coming of this faith, we were held under held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And now that this faith has come, do you like all the times faith is mentioned, by the way? You guys hear it, faith. Now that this faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. Friends, the Galatians weren't under the law anymore. And in trying to follow both the Old Testament law and the New Testament gospel of grace, the Galatians were actually returning to slavery. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it's not for slavery, but for freedom that Christ has set us free. This is what we're singing about today freedom and it's not for slavery but for freedom that christ has set us free so what's all this have to do with giving and generosity you might ask well guess what that's why we gave you some notes so if um goodness if you've not been paying attention the reason i use notes like this by the way they say that something happens in our brain when we like write things down we remember it better don't we <clears throat> at least i do and being a kind of a professor type i like to do that so um, we're going to turn to our notes and, oh, if you've missed it, generosity is a fruit of the Spirit and generosity is a result of God's work, not man's work in the lives of believers. And now we're ready to jump into point one. I'm going to tell you what all this has to do with generosity. Point one, our motivation for giving under grace in the New Testament shifts from law to love. The purpose of our freedom in Christ is to serve one another in love. Paul tells us this in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So forgiving to shift from law to love, means we don't have to do it, brothers and sisters. It means we get to do it. Is that not cool? It means we don't have to do it. We get to do it. And this reminds me of a recent story that just took place in the EFCA. And maybe perhaps some of your young people were at Challenge Conference and can personally attest to this. But just recently at the EFCA Challenge Conference and challenges this biennial gathering of of youth from EFCA churches only a few weeks ago, over 4,100 teenagers from EFCA churches gathered together in Kansas City, and together they transformed an impoverished corner of that city. They, in their workshops that they attended, they all um, learned about the love of God. And what happens when we get 4,100 young people together and we nurture their love for God and we have sessions that stir their heart for God. 
Well, it compels us to action, doesn't it? Well, this group of 4,100 teenagers, just think about that for a second. I mean, if you're in youth ministry, just think about 4,100 teenagers. But 4,100 teenagers came together and transformed 50 acres, 50, 50, in four days by hand what would have taken crews weeks to accomplish. They brought beauty and hope to a broken corner of Kansas City as a part of the Love Moves service project. For more on Challenge Conference for Youth sometime later, check out the website. So if you're a young person, check out this website later. I put it in your sermon notes there to show you that these youth learned that they get to serve others, not because the law says so, but out of love. This is cause for celebration, isn't it, Faith? We're free from serving and giving out of compulsion. We don't have to do it. Instead, we get to do it from willing hearts filled with compassion. I want to pause and thank you for the generosity that you guys are known for extending not only in this local community, not only to places like Skowhegan and Solon, where the broken and hurting are served out of love, out of compassion from this church, but also just celebrate God's work here through your district. The last time I was in Waterville, I got to meet with a group of pastors from all over Maine. How you guys serve as a catalyst out of love to minister to other pastors. I love the work that you guys are doing around the world through Reach Global. But I want to ask each of you individually, what does love in action look like in your life? Like, what would it mean to give out of love for you? And if you need a jump start, let's go back to the jump start that jump started 4,100 young people. Just reflect, perhaps this week, on God's love for you. That's going to give you the boost you need. Now, this first point we looked at answers the motivation question, which is, why should we give? Why should we give? Not out of law, but out of love. And so they say also that adults, if they vocalize things, we say in seminary, the more people talk, the more people learn. So I'm going to to say something. I want you to repeat it back to me. We don't have to give out of law, but we get to get we get to give out of love. Okay, now we need to do that a little louder. And let me just pause and say, um, I need some love. I've been on the road for about ten days here. And you know what that's like if you've been on the road a while. And Romans 13.8, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he said, Oh, no man, anything but a debt of love. So give me some love. So the good news is that our motivation for giving under grace shifts from law to Okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good for the first service, too. Now, there may be coffee somewhere to, to assist the second hour, but this is exciting. And this first point addresses the motivation question. That is why we should give out of love. But what about other questions like how much should we give or to whom should we give? Well, that leads to the next point. Point two is the New Testament term, and I I care about these things because I happen to be, my PhD is in New Testament, so I love to live in the world of the New Testament. The New Testament term for giving shifts from percentage to participation. So if you're following in your notes, it shifts from percentage to participation. Paul urges the Galatians to share 
in Galatians 6.6. 6. It says, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. I like this Greek word, share. Koinoneo. It's related to koinonia. It's a word you maybe have heard. It's really common in the New Testament. This word share literally means to have a share in or participate in God's work through giving. I want to pause again and say, Faith, I want to celebrate how you have a share in and participate in God's work through your giving, not just right here in this church, but also in places like Skowhegan and Solon and other places in Maine and throughout the world through your giving. I mean, if you hear nothing else from the office of the president today, I want you to hear that I am thankful for your participation in the gospel. And that's the language Paul uses in the New Testament. He uses, he shifts from the language of of percentage to the language of participation. And for those who want to do further study of this word, I put a bunch of scriptures in the sermon notes for you. I'm giving you some love. The New Testament term stands in contrast to the Old Testament word for giving to spiritual leaders. In the Old Testament law, God's people were to tithe a percentage. That's right. Today, most people even misinterpret the tithe, thinking God expects them to give 10%. In the Old Testament law, it's actually more than a tenth. So if we go back to the Old Testament, it was something like this. God's people were to give a tenth to the temple, a tenth for the festivals, and a tenth every third year for the poor and the Levites, who had no land of their own. So it really amounted to like 23 and a third. And if you study the verses in the sermon notes, you'll see this. And thank goodness we're no longer under the law. Amen? Come on. And thank goodness we're no longer under the law. Amen? All right. So 23 and a third is way more than even 10%. So you're probably sitting there going, Dr. Hogue, well, how much should I give? Well, first, I want you to know, guess what? The language shifts from percentage to participation. Did you know, first of all, that Jesus never used the term tithe when talking to his disciples? Why? It's law language. The only time Jesus uses the term two times is when he's condemning the Pharisees for thinking they're self-righteous for tithing down to the mint and the spice in Luke 11 and Matthew 23. And he used that to the guys who were the keepers of the law. I believe... Now, this is going to shake your snow scene a little bit. But I believe the tithe may be the most Galatian-like teaching in the church today. I believe it may be the most Galatian-like teaching in the church today. And one of the greatest hindrances of grace-filled, spirit-led generosity. Brothers and sisters, the terminology tied to giving change for Paul under grace, and it should change for us today. So, get to the bottom line, Dr. Hogue, how much should we give? Well, guess what? What should be the measure of our participation elsewhere in the New Testament? We learn that we get to give proportionately. As we're blessed, we get to what? Bless others. So if it means if you have a lot, guess what? You get to give a lot. And if you have a little, you get to give a little. Now, let me share my testimony at this point. And I'm thrilled that my family's with me because a lot of times, a lot of times, ladies, in the room, they run up and they want to talk to my wife. She's right here. She's cute little blonde right here in the black sweater. But let me give my testimony because this is humbling. But this is like it's not going to be as cool edited as that thing you just saw on the TV here. But here's my testimony. When I was a young man growing up, I worked hard and I made lots of money. 
I wanted money to do the things I wanted to do, to buy the things I wanted to buy, but tied to giving, I thought and acted from a percentage perspective. Gave 10%, did it for years, even took pride in it, and pride was yet another sin that I was guilty of. Some of you can identify with this. And I also lived as though I thought the other 90% was mine. I mean, I wasn't probably like like Gollum in the movie Lord of the Rings, like, my precious! But but I thought the other 90% was mine, and so the love of money was another sin that encumbered me. I loved my 90%. I had plenty of money, and there was no sacrifice whatsoever in my giving, and then I read some statistics. Don't do it now on your smartphones or iPhones or iPads. I hope you block like the Wi-Fi here. No, no, just kidding. Don't do it now, but later go look at www.globalrichlist.com. The website's in the sermon notes. And did you know if you make $25,000 U.S. dollars a year, you're among the 2%, top 2% of the highest salaries in the world. Out of 7 plus billion people on this round ball called Earth, if you make $25,000 a year, you're in the top 2% of the richest salaries in the world. And at that time, I was making more than $25,000, and I realized this. I make more money than 98% of the people in the world, and the other 90% I'm living on is more than most of the world ever dreams of making in a year. And then I visited a few third world countries, and it all hit home. Some of you perhaps have visited places where you just can't believe the destitution. And in living in, excuse me, in limiting my giving to a paltry percentage, I was the one missing out on greater participation in God's work. My worldliness was limiting my fruitfulness. I realized I could give a whole lot more than a meager percentage if I lived simply and gave generously. I could participate more in my local church. I could support more missionaries, support and sponsor poor children through my giving. And so I ask you, Faith EFC, care to join me and my family? Because I hereby release you, and this isn't because Pastor Bill put you there. This is just where we get. I'm just saying I hereby release you from the bonds and limitations of percentage giving. All you have has been entrusted to you, First Timothy 6, 17-19 says, to enjoy and share. What a privilege. We get to measure our giving proportionately. We get to enjoy God's blessings and participate with Him where He's at work around the world through generous sharing. Well, let's move on to point three if you're tracking in your notes. Point three right here. In the Old Testament law, God's people were obligated to support the poor. And again, everything changes under New Testament grace. Point three, remembering the poor moves beyond obligation to making the most of every opportunity. Remembering the poor moves beyond obligation to making the most of every opportunity. In Galatians 2.10, again, we're drilling down in Galatians in his letter to these brothers and sisters. He, Paul states that Peter, James, and John, and by the way, if Peter, James, and John, the trifecta, I mean, they are the, the three guys who are, who are surrounded Jesus. If Peter, James, and John are going to urge you something, I would like sit up and take notes, right? So it says, Paul states that Peter, James, and John urged Barnabas and him to, to just be sure they remembered the poor. 
To remember the poor would be in that setting to extend voluntary, countercultural, Christ-like care to the needy. That is, those who could not work or had insufficient resources to live or who had gone through some form of crisis, leaving them in a place of destitution. And the ministry of Jesus revealed that he remembered the poor. And let me explain. Again, I told you I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to the world of the New Testament. By the way, nerd is a technical term in our household. We say that means nice, educated, radical disciple. So I'm speaking to a group of nerds, I think. So here we are. We're going to look at the world of the New Testament. In the New Testament world, the blind, the lame, the cripple, the the sick. Did I do that pretty good? I made her laugh. Okay. They were often discarded from their communities. I don't know if you realize this, but... um. We would see Jesus go from town to town. And who would he see discarded within the margins? These people, right? The blind, the lame, the sick. And why did the Roman emperor mandate this? When they distributed corn and resources to the people of the cities, the poor were not to receive a share. Why exclude them? They could not render honor and service back to the emperor. So they are thrown out like trash. And Jesus would minister from town to town. He found these people within the towns, or between the towns, the poor, the blind, the lame, the sick. They were not only the forgotten of society, they were deemed undeserving of care. So what is remembering the poor in the context of the New Testament and for us? It's making the most of every opportunity faith to show that God's love and grace is for everyone. Do I hear an amen? Amen. Paul would say this includes people you know and people you don't know. He says this in Galatians 6.10. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. So I ask you, Faith, who are the poor in your life? Let's start with those we don't know. A few years back, I wrote an article for Christianity Today on giving money to street people. From my research, I found three hang-ups that appear in our lives. Three, for helping poor strangers. First, we judge them. We do. We judge them. We judge both whether they're worthy of our assistance or what they'll do with our aid. Consider this illustration ascribed to C.S. Lewis on this idea of judging people on the street. My doctoral advisor taught me this one over in England. It says, One day, C.S. Lewis and a friend were walking down the road and came upon a street person who reached out to them for help. While his friend kept walking, Lewis stopped and proceeded to empty his wallet. When they resumed their journey, his friend asked, Lewis, what are you doing giving him all that money like that? Don't you know he's going to go squander it all on ale? To which Lewis paused and replied, that's all I was going to do with it. Is there a more vivid illustration that, that, that captures we judge people and often they're no different than we are? I believe there's a second hang-up that keeps us from helping people on the street. Giving freely to those who ask might leave us as givers without resources. I believe many of us as followers of Jesus lack the faith to believe that if we empty ourselves of the resources God has provided to us that it will fill our cups again. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 10, 11, to be generous at all times because God provides 
the resources for our generosity. He fills our cup so we have something to enjoy and share. I believe we fail to give freely for a third uh, reason also to people on the street. I believe we fail to give freely to all who ask because when push comes to shove, we value possessions over people. We do. We cherish stuff more than souls. Listen to the exhortation of the early church pastor, the shepherd of Hermas, or the pastor of Hermas, between the year 100 and 160 A.D. He said, instead of fields, buy souls that are in trouble according to your ability. What if we adopted this perspective with our asset portfolios? How many street people could the people of this church bless in the name of Jesus if we all gave freely? And I want you you all to know that part of the reason I'm here in Maine is to commend churches like this one for their involvement among those that are served in the Trinity Shelter and to commend uh, and to really, quite honestly, I'm gathering stories because I'm then going throughout the FCA and inspiring others to not only minister to their congregation, but to support the local shelters and to reach out in the name of Jesus and to not let these hang-ups slow us down. May God help us stop judging people. May, may we give freely, trusting God to provide the resources for our generosity. And may God help us value people over possessions. Do I hear an amen, Faith? Now let me shift from the poor we don't know to the poor we know. That is, people who may be sitting in church right now having tough times. This is where life gets messy. At least that's what my family has experienced. You see, my wife Jenny and I have been married 22 years. We have two teens. Sammy's right here. He's 18. Sophie's 17. And about five years ago, we decided to live out this aspect of biblical teaching. Rather than storing up treasures on earth, we decided to share regularly with the needy around us. And it's been awesome. In 08, 09, 010, we did a lot of, we enjoyed a lot of abundance from God, so we did a lot of sharing. In January 2011, everything changed, however. It was actually January 2nd. Jenny had a pain. Within three weeks, she was diagnosed with cancer. Within, uh, By the end of January, we had $10,000 in medical bills. And we told our teens that we don't have the $10,000 because we don't store up treasures on earth. We shared that God invites us to ask him when we have needs. That verse was actually up on the screen when when uh, Boston Jeff you know, was was in the testimony remember Matthew 7 if we need something ask the father well we shared that the father invites us to ask him when we have needs and I just want to be very clear this isn't prosperity gospel it's living out the pure gospel which often includes suffering we just prayed on our knees saying God we need your help and what happened next solidified our trusting God we I'm not kidding you we got six checks from people we never asked that totaled exactly ten thousand dollars and if they came from like a woman, they were like on flowery stationery and cursive writing, you know. And but and and whether they were from a woman or a man with the little letterhead that has like the name on the bottom, right? You've seen this kind of stationery. They all said something like this: "We heard, we prayed, the Holy Spirit moved. Here's a check. Hope it helps." And I'll never forget when the last check came. Sammy opened it. And I remember Sophie skipping around the house. Picture a 13-year-old with the most beautiful blonde hair. You can see it right here. Skipping around the house saying, God is real. God is real. We can trust Him. God is real. Because He heard our prayer. Now, we didn't even know. That was March. We didn't even know if Mom was going to make it through 
cancer. She hadn't even had surgery yet, let alone radiation and the different stuff that tries to kill you to help you get well. And by God's grace, Jenny's, look, she looks great. Let's give it up for the Lord, by the way. Just like we praise the Lord for saving us from sin, we praise the Lord when He delivers us from a health challenge. And when He restores us so we can have fruitful service to Him. And what's so cool in that journey was by March, we weren't even out of the woods yet. And Sophie comes home from school and says, Dad, are we going to have any money left at the end of this month? Why, Sophie? Well, because I learned one of my friends, uh, his dad has been out of work since January. Can we live on rice and beans the rest of the month so we can save up some money to sneak it to him? You know, and I'm just telling you, this enjoying and sharing God's blessings gets so fun that you'll have dinnertime conversations who you can conspire to bless. I'm serious. I mean, you talk about fun. Who will we give Christmas to this year? I mean, that becomes the highlight of our Christmas conversations. I digress. I'm just saying to you, brothers and sisters, I want you to think with me about the poor who are around you. That is, the poor that you don't know. And the poor that you know. Do you know anyone who's struggling right now? Has the Holy Spirit nudged you to take a meal to somebody? To maybe maybe take them some money because you heard they're going through a crisis? If you have more than enough, ask God if you're to share some of his resources. And this is not out of obligation, but making the most of every opportunity following the leading of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're God's resources. Psalm 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord and all it contains. So when he's blessed us with a lot, we get to be his conduits of blessing. This leads to my final point. Paul doesn't force the Galatians to shift and from investing their lives and resources from the earthly to the eternal. He invites them to. So I am not forcing you to live this way. This isn't a representative from the national office coming to deliver an edict. I'm inviting you to hear God's word and do what it says. I invite you, point four, I invite you to shift your focus and your resources from the earthly to the eternal. Jesus called it storing up treasures in heaven. That's what happens when we give. It won't just happen, though. It requires action on our part. And Paul uses clear language in his call to action in Galatians 6, 7 to 9. He says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let's not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. There it is again. Doing good. Let's not grow weary in doing good. We're going to reap a harvest someday for it. Notice Paul proclaims the truth regarding the sowing of the Galatians and beckons them to a new way of life. And I simply am here today to encourage you to do the same. Keep sowing for the kingdom. Don't let worldliness distract you from fruitfulness. And notice, Paul and I don't think this is easy. You're going to grow weary. It's going to be hard. You're going to have some tough days. You're going to have days like we did where we had a few years in a row where we had more than enough and we got to be on the sharing side. It was hard. It can be hard. You can be tempted to grow weary and lose heart. Don't do it. It's going to be worth it in light of eternity. So, what are the four shifts we've got to make to get generosity in gear? Right here at Faith EFC from Paul's letter to the Galatians. 
Well, start in a posture of submission to the Holy Spirit because remember the Spirit is the one who produces this fruit in our lives. From there, we've got to make four shifts. And he puts them clearly in his argument, in his, in his, his points that he makes in his letter to the Galatians. First, our motivation shifts from law to love. So repeat after me, our motivation shifts from law to love. That's right. We don't give because we have to. We give because we get to. The term for giving shifts in the New Testament from percentage, here's your chance, to participation. That's right. As we're blessed, we get to bless others. We get to support the local church. We get to engage in mission throughout Maine. We get to reach the ends of the earth through our giving and sharing. Number three, remembering the poor is not out of obligation, but making the most of every... That's right. And I just say to you guys, keep up the good work. I hear great things about how God is at work, both within this church and outside its walls here in Maine. And in the words of Paul to the Thessalonians, excel so more. Keep it up. Lastly, I want to encourage you to raise your sights from the earthly to the eternal. Let's say that. We want to raise our sights from the earthly to the eternal. Now, C.S. Lewis sums this perspective best in mere Christianity. I actually put it in your notes because it's just so pointed. It says, where's your focus is my question. Do you want to make a difference in the world, I ask? Lewis says, if you read history, you'll find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, they've become so ineffective in this. Faith, EFC, aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. But aim at earth, and you'll get neither. And so I invite you. Care to join me and my family? Search these scriptures for yourselves, and as the Spirit leads you, join us in making these four shifts to get generosity and gear. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, make us a movement known for grace-filled, spirit-led generosity. I've sown some truth into the hearts of my brothers and sisters here at Faith today. And my prayer for them, my aim for them, is that their giving will be motivated, not by law, but love. That they'll measure their giving based on how much you've given them. As we're blessed, help us be conduits of blessing to others. Thank you that we get to participate with you in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I guess if I have an agenda for, for faith, it's I just want this church to have a reputation for generosity and sharing with the needy here and the world around. And may it be because they have shifted their focus solely to that which is unseen, to the eternal. May each of us in our obedience bless others and lead many to faith in you. Help us by your Holy Spirit make these shifts in gratitude for the grace extended to us through your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Faith.